Good morning. Good to see you all here. We're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians, our Tough Love series, and we're in chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 2 through 16. And we're in for a fun one this morning. Paul writes and says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings, just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is in the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, The woman ought ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have other practice. We have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Would anyone like to teach this morning? I forgot to ask, but if if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, uh, and they'll get you one. Or if you need a a head covering, you can raise your hand, uh, and and they'll bring you one of those as well. Uh, You know, when I became a follower of Christ, it was about 35 years ago, There were a number of things in my journey that have been very foundational and important to me. There were people who who taught and shared and gave sermons that inspired me, that were marked moments of change in my Christian faith, that opened my eyes, that ignited a fire within me that provoked me to to step in deeper and to move forward in in a drastic way in this relationship I had with God. And those things were very important. I, I can remember specific times and places. They're just real clear in my mind of how monumental they were for me in my relationship with Christ and my journey in faith. And there are was also the understanding and the learning of Scripture that has been foundational for my entire Christian faith as far as giving me understanding of what it means to follow Christ, what what God's desire is for my life, the boundaries that He sets in Scripture so that I know what is right, what is wrong, what God desires of me. And knowing Scripture has been, again, just foundational. And these two things have been at the heart of what I have desired to do in Genesis, is to hopefully be able to share things that inspire you to move forward in this faith of Christ, to to dive in, to give all that we can to the Lord of ourselves and also to bring about a knowledge of Scripture so that you will have understanding and it will guard you from a lot of problems, a lot of pitfalls. And one of the reasons 
I, I wanted to go through 1 Corinthians on a Sunday morning was because this, this book is so in your face about so many things and so practical for those who are followers of Christ. But at the same time, it's a difficult book. If you're coming here for the first time, you know, I've never been to church. Someone invited me and I start talking about head coverings and women not, you know, getting their head hair cut off. You're thinking, yeah, I won't be back next week. You know, this, this doesn't relate to me. But I, I hope this morning to be able to look at the scripture, to be able to interpret the scripture and show us how we do that and talk about things that even in this passage that seem like what the heck is going on are going to be practical for us, things that are necessary for us to understand. You see, what inspires us and what motivates us is an understanding of who God is and what God desires for us. And there has been a lot of abuse of Scripture. You can see it regularly. You can see it on TV. People will use Scripture to motivate you to give money to their ministry. People will use the Scripture to present their series of beliefs. And, and how many, I'm just curious, have heard this set of Scripture taught, the things that we're talking? Raise your hand if you've heard something taught on that. Okay, so you've heard this, and, and I... I wonder if how we go through this again compares to the things that we've heard. Because a lot of times, the context of what's being said here really gets missed because of some of the hard things that are there. You see, this passage is not talking about submission or subordination of women. That is not the subject of this passage. And how do we know that is going to be really important so that we don't just make up things that we want based on just things in our understanding. And so it's going to be real important for us to look at this passage and to use it correctly. For that to happen, there's going to have to be an understanding of the culture as well as an understanding of the book just as we have been going through it. You see, all of a sudden, there, there are no chapter changes in the scripture. And that's why we started at verse 2, because verse 1 actually is a part of the context previously that we talked about at the end of chapter 10. And so 11, the new idea starts in verse 2, but the same theme has been going on. All of a sudden, Paul didn't just come out of left field and say, I think I'm going to talk about women and their hair today. That's not what's going on. What's going on is Paul is talking about glory, glorifying God with our lives and not shaming God with the pagan rituals that have been common in those, that area of Corinth. We've been talking about meat sacrificed to idols. Another thing that, again, probably most of us don't really have an issue with, I hope. But it is something that was very prevalent in the time of Corinth, and we saw how it's important that our lives honor God and are respectful for those around us so that the people around us are able to clearly see who God is by the way we live. And that is still what Paul is trying to do and what he is trying to accomplish here. You see, the tendency is to just take everything at a literal value well, this is what the Bible says. Women are supposed to have their heads covered. And so next Sunday, I want you all to have bonnets or big hats or flowers or something, okay? We want to take that. And there are churches who do that. There are churches that will you'll go there and all the ladies have a hat. And if you don't have one, I don't know what they do. If they hand you a hat or, or what? I say, oh, no, my head is not covered. I don't have a fancy frilly hat. But the idea here is to see what is really trying to be said. What is Paul trying to communicate to the people that he is speaking to? And that is something that we need to look at when we read the scripture. What is he saying to the people he is speaking to? Because that is going to bring clarity on the meaning of what is being said. 
so that we don't take it out of its context, so that we don't utilize it for our own prejudice, so that we are able to see what God was saying through Paul to those people and how now does it apply to us. So when you read the scripture, those are questions that you ask. Those are things that you need to understand. So you don't just open up and, well, chapter 11 is about this. Well, chapter 11 is connected to the chapters preceding. It's not standing alone. It is a part of the conversation that Paul is having to the church in Corinth. And what we do know is that Paul has been talking about what was going on, not just what we hear or think. In other words, we can understand this passage not just because we know the culture, which we have learned a lot from, but even just looking at the passage previously. All the things that Paul has been saying and what his focus has been on. Again, dealing with the areas of idolatry, dealing with the areas of honoring God, dealing with the areas of representing Christ to a pagan culture accurately. You see, the subject here of what Paul is talking about in these passages is head attire and worship. It's not subordination or hierarchy. Now, I know the idea of head attire, hats. Why is the scripture talking about wearing hats? We're going to find out why. But that is the subject. You see, because if you think the subject is about subordination of women, you are going to focus everything or strain it through that. And then you are going to come up with some conclusions that are not at the heart of the context of what Paul is speaking about. The subject is talking about the head attire in worship, and again, not hierarchy and not subordination. Again, why is he talking about this? Because Paul is talking to the church that is living in a pagan society. He's talking about a culture that is dominated with idolatry. And we're going to see how that plays into this. And we're going to see that the culture does not determine how they behave. That they need to live in relationship with God that honors the Lord. And in this case, Paul talks about honoring their husbands with the wives and not dishonoring. Now, if you have children, you know that your children can either honor you or they can shame you. All of us who have children, well, maybe not all of us, maybe just me, uh, but know what it's like to have your kids do something that, oh no, my child did what? Oh no. I, I can remember one time being at church and hearing something on the roof. Do, 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 do. Someone was on the roof and my head sunk because I knew it was one of my children. Don't ask me how I knew. I just knew one of my boys was up on the roof. I knew it wasn't my daughter, but I knew it was one of my boys. And it was like, there it is, in the middle of the service. Everyone's looking up. Someone's on the roof. They're going to find out it's my son. They can bring shame to you. by the things and the way they conduct themselves. And the same is true in our relationship with each other and with our relationship with God. You see, we can either honor God or we can be, bring shame to God if we are not careful in how we present ourselves. And so the idea of head attire and how they dress was very important in this culture with whether it would bring honor or shame to God. This is the subject. And I keep saying that because I want us to see clearly what Paul is talking about and understand the purpose that he's saying these things. And I also want you to be able to understand how do you interpret Scripture? When you read something like this, how do you know what's being said? Well, it's good to study. It's good to have commentaries, things that you can read. But it's also good to just read the whole book in its context. And that's where we see what is taking place here. You see, the problem is focused on the head attire and worship, not on the subordination. And we're going to look for the meaning of this passage. Again, who he's writing to, the women of Corinth, that they should not cover their heads, the application, how that applies to us. And we're going to see that there's a difference between a command and culture. For example, the scripture is full of commands and things that are said that also involve cultural aspects. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
Paul says that you're to greet one another with a holy kiss. That's in the scripture. Now, I watched you guys this morning. You guys didn't all kiss each other. So next week, no, that's not what we're going <laughs> to... The idea now here is the command is that you are to greet each other with love. That is commanded. You are to love one another and you are to greet one another. The culture is with the holy kiss. That was permanent in that culture. So you see what I'm saying? There, there is the, the understanding of the command and then there is the recognition of the culture that that command is taking place in. And the same thing is taking place here. God is trying to command something, but there's something cultural that's taking place as well. And so we need to be able to distinguish what is the command and what is the culture. Another thing Jesus said when he told the disciples, go out two by two and don't take an extra pair of sandals with you. So that means if you ever go out sharing your faith, you can't have an extra pair of shoes? No. The command is to share your faith, to go out. The culture was taking these sandals. It was, it, it was specific to that circumstance. And so it's important that we see these things so that we can move forward clearly, which is what I'm trying to do. Uh, okay. Here, covering a woman's head has a command, honor the relationship to your husband. In verse 2, he starts off, and he kind of just starts off, says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Paul starts off kind of buttering them up, saying, hey, you guys are doing great, and now I'm going to let you have it. Uh, and it's really a good thing to do. If you're talking to someone, it's good to first acknowledge them, and I'm not here to just put you down. I recognize the good that you're doing, but now I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to talk to you about some specific things. And in verse 3, he goes on and he says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is, a man, is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if Paul is trying to talk about hierarchy, in other words, this is how the order of things are, it's kind of strange the way he does it. Because you wouldn't start off or you wouldn't have man in the middle. I mean, if you were to try and place an order, you might say, well, God is at the top, then there's Christ, then there's man, then there's woman. But that's not what he does. He starts off saying, realize first that the head of every man is Christ, then he goes to the woman, then he goes to God. And so he kind of jumps around. And there's three choices that we can really decide what he's talking about. It's either going to be when he's talking about the head or being that position, he's either talking about being the source being the authority, or being the prominent position. So how do we find out what he's talking about? Well, first, let's find out what he is not talking about. If he was talking about hierarchy, in other words, God is the highest, then Jesus, then man, then woman, why would he mix them up the way he did? And jump with me to verse 11, because staying in context of this passage he says, almost as if people are going to start thinking this, he says, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. He shows that you're, you're connected to each other. It's not a matter of better than. So he's not saying here that man is better than woman. He is over woman. He is not saying or making that claim. And so... You kind of have to ask yourself, well, is he talking about the source when he talks about the head? And you kind of see how that plays out. Well, if the source of every man is Christ, well, you can kind of see that. And the source of every woman is man. Well, if you go back to creation, woman came from man, so you can kind of see that. But you have a real issue with the source of Christ is God because Christ is God. And although Jesus was made lower than the angels for suffering, he is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the first, he is the last, he is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And so you have a problem if it, the idea is to communicate the source. And so it's not to communicate the source. And then if you go into the idea of authority, again, we see that if you're doing this with authority, 
then you're actually using the wrong terminology and you've got the wrong order. And then in context later, you see that man and women are not independent of each other. And so you have this conflict of context if the idea is about authority, which leaves us with the prominent position, which now makes sense, that Christ has a prominent position over men, that man has a position over women. And he's dealing specifically with husbands and wives in this passage. And we know through Scripture, through Ephesians and other passages, that there is a positional difference, that it's not a, a difference as far as quality of life. In other words, man is not better than woman, but man has a position that he is supposed to take as Christ in the relationship with the woman. A man is supposed to love his wife even as Christ loved the church. That's his role. That's his job. It wasn't the job he asked for. It was one God says, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, when is he supposed to love his wife? When she's lovable? No. All the ladies smiled on that one. <laughs> and then it also tells us that the wife is to respect her husband. When is she supposed to respect her husband? When he's respectable? The guys, you can smile on that one. You see, and God has given us this position so that we can function well. And this is where Scripture becomes so important. Because God has given us understanding of where we are supposed to be positionally. And it's not one of hierarchy. It is one of mutual dependency. The husband needs to love Christ, his wife as Christ loves the church. Christ was a servant. In that same passage where Paul talks about these things in Ephesians, he says that we are to submit to one another. So it's not about submission. And I wanted to make this point clear because this passage gets used so often and so many people have a struggle with this because, oh my gosh, what are you saying about women? Because it sounds so bizarre to us in our culture. But this isn't about submission. This is about mutual dependency. This is about proper priority of our lives together. And it's real important to understand that, and I hope to make it more clear as we deal with some more of these issues that are coming up. And so, the word that is even used here for the idea of head is the word kephal. It does not mean authority, but again, it means prominent position or the one who is focused. In other words, you have a focus and a attention on this person. And so he starts off just giving this understanding of the head of Man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, the head of Christ is God. Each one has a position that they are supposed to be a part of. They are connected to one another. They are in the right position with one another. Verse 4, he says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, it is just as though her head were shaved. So what is, he, is he saying that women have to wear hats and men don't? Is that really what he's trying to say here? No. Now here's where we have to kind of go into a cultural thing. At this time in Corinth, the Romans specifically, when they would worship their idols, the men would take their tunics and they would cover their head. They would take their togas. They would cover their head in their worship service. And so Paul is saying, you're not like the pagans. Men, don't go in there and cover your heads in your worship. It might look really cool Jedi-ish, you know, but it's not what's going to be happening. Your head is to be uncovered because that is how you honor your God and your worship. And so this is very missional and it's Direction. He's trying to establish, you guys, you're different than the society around you. Your worship is different than that of idols. Yeah, they sacrifice food. You don't worry about that. They cover their heads. You're not to do what they're doing. 
And the same was true with the women. You see, there were temples there that the way they worshipped was in sexual content. And the women were prostitutes. They were the priestess of that religion. And they would go through the town. Their heads were not covered, which meant they were available. Now you see how this could be an uh, issue if you go to church and the ladies don't have their heads covered. If everyone in society dealt with this, well, there's, you know, so-and-so, she's from the temple of Diana, she's a prostitute, yeah, she doesn't have her head covered. And now the ladies come into church and their heads aren't covered and all the guys are freaking out. Isn't that Sam's wife? Her head's not covered. What does that mean? Sorry, honey. <laughs> I should have used another name. Uh, but I was looking around and I was seeing a name of everyone. I, I don't want to use your wife. <sighs> the whole idea was this had a, a cultural content. The idea of your head not being covered was now a shame to your husband. And it represented an identification with the idolatry that is in the world around us. But there's something that usually gets missed here that's really important in verse 4. Or in verse 5, actually. And it says, And every woman who prays or prophesies. We know what praying, praying means. We know what praying means. But what is prophesying? Well, in the Old Testament, it had to do with foretelling of events or declaring God work and judgment in, in some way in a, in a situation. But we see throughout the New Testament, it's more of forthtelling. It's kind of declaring the truths of God. And so one of the things that we need to understand in this whole idea when people start looking and thinking of submission hierarchy, Paul presents this when women who pray or prophesy in the meeting. That should make us think. When they are gathered together, the women were allowed to speak, to declare. Now there's context and then you have other things in Timothy. I, I can't cover it all today. And this is going to be big enough for me to try and tackle. But I do want to present the fact that Paul, and we see it in Acts 2, that there are women who have this role of being a prophet or declaring the truths of God. Beth Moore, my goodness. You ladies know how well she declares the scriptures. Now, he says this in a context that it does not be, it's not exclusive to just she talks just to women. This is in a worship setting, which is unheard of at this time. When they would have other gatherings and other religious activities, the women were not allowed to speak at all. But Paul here gives this declaration. Now we can see something taking place here. God is declaring and giving freedom to these women to be a part of his work. This freedom that they have is now becoming more important or having a, a life of its own. Just like it did, I can go into the... the Temples where they worship idols and I could sit down and have a meal even though they offer this to another idol. It doesn't bother me. And Paul says, well, it might not bother you, but it might bother someone else. The women are saying, I can go around. I don't have to have my head covered. It doesn't bother me. Well, it might not bother you, but it might bother someone else. You see the context? This all has to do with honoring God in our worship. That's the focus. That's the content. And what Paul is declaring here, first is he's saying women, when they pray or prophesy, they need to have their head covered because they don't want to dishonor their head. Now, their head could be Christ. It could be themselves or it could be their husband because he just talked about the head of the woman is her husband, is man. And so, see, now we're starting to piece this together. Now it makes sense that you would dishonor your husband if your head was uncovered, if the idea of having a head uncovered was to be identified with a prostitute. You see what I'm saying? You tracking with me here, or am I, I out in left field? Okay, because, man, this passage has been beating me up. How am I going to make something sound 
you know, make it clear to you and make it applicable. And I hope to tie it all in at the very end. But I want you to see what is taking place here. Because it's real important that we have the focus so that we can have the true application for our own understanding and what is going on. And so women are allowed to speak. They're allowed to prophesy. They're allowed to do this. And many women in Corinth in their worship, having their heads uncovered had to do with prostitution, basically saying they're available for business. Um, Paul's saying you got to be different. You, you can't be so free that you become a problem with your freedom. And, you know, it would be as if a woman came into church and was just very uh, dressed very provocatively to, to bring attention to herself. So that they stand up and if she was, you know, singing, you know, and everyone's like, oh man, look at her, what she's wearing. Who's worshiping God? They're looking at her because of how she's dressed. I have a story, but I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> just wouldn't be good. Um, it's real applicable, but I better not. Okay. And so he goes on in verse 6 and he says, if a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shave, she should cover her head. Paul's just putting an exclamation on this point. The idea of having her head just shorn is like just, that was considered a shame. And you know, that's happened throughout society. I remember a while back I was watching that uh, movie Band of Brothers, and it talked about when the the U.S. troops went into Holland and liberated that area. That they were sitting there, and all the ladies, you know, were kissing the guys, and they were just so happy that the Americans had come and liberated them. But then there was this scene where they show these ladies, and they're getting their heads shaved, and it was real brutal. And you're like, "What's going on?" And you find out later that these were the ladies who slept with the German sh soldiers, and this is what was a way of shaming them. Basically saying, we're going to take your hair, everyone's going to identify you. And that's the idea that Paul's saying, you know, if you're going to have your hair uncovered, you're bringing shame. You might as well shave your head because you're identifying yourself with the prostitutes in this area. So if you don't want to have your head shaved, just put it on a cover. That way there's no misunderstanding what is going on. He's trying to bring clarity to what he's presenting here to the ladies and an understanding, don't you realize what you're doing, the problem that this is. And I know this is foreign to us. You know, it's not a big deal. If some, you know, you ladies aren't wearing hats and no one goes, wow, look at her. You know, she doesn't have a hat on today. You know, it, this isn't the kind of thing that provokes us, but it did them in that culture. And it's important for us to understand that that's what Paul's addressing. So in verse 7, he goes on in verses 7 through 9. And he says, A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this, oh, for woman, for that, we'll stop right there. Okay. <sighs> Okay, what's he saying? Whose image was woman created in? God's. This is not saying that woman was created in man's image. Okay, we know from Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Woman was created in God's image. This is not saying that woman was not created in God's image. We know also in Galatians chapter 3 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul is understanding that it's not that woman was created in man's image. That he's trying to bring a counterbalance to the idea of shame. Okay, Shame with the glory of man is if a man does not bring glory to God. In other words, your job is, since you were created in the image of God, you need to glorify God with that image. The woman, you can bring glory to the man by honoring him and not bringing that glory to yourself or the wrong attention to yourself. In other words, you have the ability to bring shame to your husband if you don't have your head covered. Or you can bring glory to your husband by being respectable. 
And so you represent your husband, just like we talked about our kids at the beginning, or I talked about my kids at the beginning, that they can bring either honor or shame. You know, oh, they did well. You know, they, they saved this person. Oh, great. They bring honor. Oh, they ran on the roof at the church. Oh, they bring shame. You know, they have the idea bringing honor. Well, the woman, you can bring honor to your husband if you have your head covered, if you're living in modesty, or you can bring shame to him if you have it uncovered. You represent him in that way. And so that's what Paul is trying to do. We honor God by not having our heads covered, men, because that was the idolatry that was taking place there at that time. So by not having our head covered, or having our head uncovered, same thing, then we bring honor to God. Women, you bring honor to your husband if you have your head covered. If you don't, you bring the shame. And so he's trying to, again, bring the idea of who you honor or who you will shame. The woman, you have to bring honor because they're going to look at you in connection to your husband because of your role together, because of his relationship with you. And so this is what he's trying to declare. And I promise at the end I'm going to bring some hopefully practical points. But clarity is real important, and I wanted to spend time on this passage because I think this passage has been abused to try and tell women that they are supposed to be subordinate and submissive to men. That is not the context of this. There's other passages that talk about a woman's role. I'm not getting into those at this point. But it's nowhere in Scripture that it says that women are under men authority. Husbands and wives is a different relationship, but Scripture doesn't talk about women in general being under men, okay, as far as being not the same, not equal to. I just shared the Scripture in Galatians, and I, I think it's important that we know, because this is a big problem with a lot of people in church. I, man, church is very, you know, detrimental to women and their rights and their freedom. It's not. In fact, it was very liberating. This is more liberty than they knew at that time and even today. Um, verse 10, it says, For this reason and because of this, because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. What does that mean? I got no idea. Um, I, I, I really, I don't. I mean, I've read a lot of things. It basically has the idea of, of you know, there is angelical presence that is in our worship service, and we need to be mindful of that. Uh, but most of the commentaries I've read, they don't know why this reference of angels and, and the connection here. It, it really is a mystery. And you know what? It's okay to say you don't understand things. I just declared that because I don't understand this. Um, not fully, anyway. I mean, the whole idea of, for this reason... The angels, you know, the women have to have a sign of authority on her head. I don't, I don't get all that he's talking about. I, I understand a little bit of the premise, but I don't understand it all. Now, we need to recognize again what, what Paul is trying to declare here is not to bring women into a submissive state. For example, my son, when he was on tour and he went into the Middle East. He stopped in Dubai, the city in Saudi Arabia, that it's a very affluent city. He couldn't afford anything there. And as he was walking around with some of the Marines that he was with, they were just kind of checking out the sites and all the things that were there. You know, they have an indoor uh, ski slope in Saudi Arabia, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, it's just incredible the things they have there. And as they were walking around town, there was a, a young lady walking with her presumed mother, and she didn't have her veil on. Her face was seen. She still had her long garb, but her veil wasn't seen. And the guys, being guys, checked her out and just looked at her. You know, she was a pretty girl, apparently, and they looked at her. The mom saw the guys looking at her and slapped her daughter because she didn't have her face covered. This is not dealing with that kind of circumstance. You see, there is an attitude of, you need to get in your place, put, cover yourself. You should not be seen. You are not allowed to do that. That's not what Paul is dealing with here. The idea of covering is respect, not only for your husband, 
but to identify you with the God you worship. This is very intent on helping people to understand and see God. It is very missional in what it is trying to accomplish. In verse 11, he goes on, he says, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, that's in the creation, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. It's as if Paul is trying to counterbalance all the things that he said. He wants you to understand that This doesn't mean you're better than, guys. Just because a woman has to be careful of how she represents you and your family and honor you doesn't mean you are better than her. You came from a woman. And all of us are under God. You see, now put this in context with someone getting slapped because they're not covered. And you see, we're talking about two different things here. And the whole point of this passage is that there would be honor to God in our worship. That's what Paul cares about. That's what he's wanting to bring about. And using this one thing that was problematic at this time, just like the idolatrous worship of food sacrificed to idols was a problem at this time, Paul is addressing it. Now here is what the great thing is that I love about the scripture. It doesn't just sweep things under the rug. If there is an issue, God talks about it. If there is an issue in our lives, in our worship of God, of us not representing God effectively, God talks about it and wants to talk about it. You see, the idea that you and I can live our lives and do whatever we want. I'm free in Christ. Forget the hat. I'm going to throw it away like Mary Tyler Moore. You know, I'm just going to be as happy as I can be. God says, you still need to honor me, even in your freedom, even in your life. What you do matters to how you represent me. I'm free in Christ. I can drink. It's not a problem. Well, it depends on where and how you drink. If you've got a lampshade on your head and you're, woo, you know, going... There's a problem here. Aren't you supposed to represent me? That's more important than your freedom. That's more important than you getting to do whatever you want. We are in connection with one another. And our worship together needs to be unique. It needs to stand out. It needs to be different. And Paul's statement here about us being not being independent of one another is bringing us back into the same place that we are all under God. We need to honor God in our worship together, men and women. We need to not bring shame to one another or to God. He goes on in verse 13. He says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. Now, the idea of nature is being brought in here, and, and is Paul talking about nature like the nature of you know, the animals and the trees, or is he talking about a nature of society? And what do we do with all the pictures of Jesus with long hair? What's going on here? What, what's he trying to say? What, what's the idea and the content here about this hair and judge for yourselves woman should have her head uncovered and and the very nature of things if a man has long hair it is a disgrace for him he says but that if a woman has long hair it is her glory for the long hair is given to her as a covering for the men in Corinth if they had long hair it was again a symbol of the men who were prostitutes in that time It was their calling card saying, I'm a male prostitute. I am very loose in my lifestyle, and this is how you know. This is my calling card. It doesn't mean that all societies, because this was a big deal back in the 60s when the hippies and all that, like, oh, wow, you got to cut your hair, dude. Oh, dude, you know, that's my hair. Um, The idea isn't that it's the hair that's the problem. It was what it was identifying with. And it was the nature of how things were in society. Judge for yourself. How is society controlling these things and issues? 
Is it okay for you to dress like that in your society in a way that is provocative, in a way that is calling attention to yourself, in a way that makes people wonder what's going on? And nature of a society gives us insight into how these things... Now, our society is so diverse. We've got so many different types of people. You've got people who are goth, you know, and they wear black nail polish and black eyeliner and they dye their hair black. And some people are like, oh man, that's just so dark. And that's kind of how they are in that place. And then you've got people who are, I don't know, punk is not in anymore. What else is there, you know? What is it? Yeah, pomp- pompadours or, you know, rockabilly or whatever you call that thing, Michael. Uh, <laughs> You know, people have different styles, and so we have so many diversities in our culture that there are certain things that it, they just aren't issues anymore. Whether it's sports memorabilia, you know, people with their favorite sports team. But there are still some things that are considered risque. You know, if someone comes in wearing something that's very revealing, people notice. It's like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't wear that to church. Yeah, it's a good thing, you know. Um, and so the idea is nature of a society tells us what things are problematic and what things aren't. And let's face it, a lot of people want to dress in a way that is provocative or a way that is just, I want to be outside of the norm. I want to have my own identity. That's kind of become the whole point here. But my point here, <laughs> what is your point, Sam? My point here is that the idea of long hair had to do, again, with the society, a male prostitute, and if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. A woman's hair in that society, again, was something that was supposed to be just seen as identifying her between just a man and a woman. It was definitely a distinction. Men, this is, you have to look like a man, and women, you have to look like women. This is one of the things that he's presenting here. In verse 16, he, he, let's try and land this plane here. If anyone wants to be contentious, if you want to just be, you know, bring some kind of contend against what he's saying about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. In other words, this is what we're doing in the church. We are trying to represent God in a way that does not bring shame to him. All the churches are identified in that way. And now again, he's bringing the idea of, you know, we have a belief that is unique, that needs to be expressed clearly. When people come here, there needs to be something different. There needs to be something that connects to God, whether it's the things that we talk about, whether it's the songs that we sing. There has to be an understanding that if you come here, you either wonder, man, these people are all crazy, or you wonder, who are they talking to, and who are they talking about? There has to be an understanding of God and the declaration of God that is evident. Our job, even though we want to identify with the culture around us, isn't to become invisible in the culture around us. It is to bring to light who Jesus is in the culture around us. And so the important thing here is to recognize that our worship of God needs to honor God in whatever we do. And that our freedoms are not there for us to misuse, to expound, or to just kind of flaunt. They are there to bring honor to God and recognize that if you don't recognize this, it can also bring shame to God. And it could bring shame to one another. And I think we've all been in places where someone's says, oh, are you a Christian? Well, I know so-and-so is a Christian. You know so-and-so is living in a lifestyle and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And you're like, oh, I've just been identified with a person who is not honoring God but bringing shame to God. And so the point of this, (laughs) and the long way to say it, is that we are to live our lives in a way that brings honor to God and not shame. And this is not about putting women under a subordinate place. And that's what I wanted to make clear about this passage, and I hope I did, because I took a long time to do this. Um, 
I wish we had the means of asking questions here, but we don't, especially in the time that we have. And so we're going to conclude. And let me conclude in just this one last thought. If we are different because we believe in the living God, how is that difference seen within our lives? You see, there has to be restraint, there has to be control, and there has to be respect for our God and for one another. So that people come here and they see these people live what they believe. I can see the glory of God by how they conduct themselves. And we cannot separate how we conduct ourselves for how we represent God. And it's really important that we do that well. Let's pray. Ah, Lord, this is really a tough passage, and I hope you can take what was said here and make it applicable and useful. Father, I pray that there would be clarity on just what this doesn't say as well as what it does say. And Lord, I, I pray that there would be understanding on how we look at Scripture and how we interpret Scripture so that we don't come up with conclusions that support our preconceived ideas and our prejudices. I pray, Father, that we would diligently divide the Scripture and study it, that we would engage ourselves in it because this is... This is foundational for our lives and how we live and what we know and how we conduct ourselves, how we represent you. And Lord, I'd hate for us to use the scripture as a means or a tool to help us leverage ourselves in certain ways. And I pray, God, that this would be a freedom for a lot of the ladies here who feel that they don't have a right to have a voice or to speak or to, to pray out loud or to share things because... They've been taught that they have to have a, a submissive state and aren't allowed to speak. God, you've never intended that. At the same time, Lord, might there be the recognition of our dependency on one another. Lord, how we are to represent you together collectively. And I pray that we would honor you in these things. And Lord, take all that I said here this morning and make it practical, make it useful. I entrust it to you, Lord, and I do ask you to bless these people here in Jesus' name. Amen.